0: We're we're doing a long study about the Word of God um, right now. We're we're taking two or three times, and we're just talking about the importance of studying the Word of God because me and Thomas were talking about it on the way over here. A lot of believers they they get their Bible study, if you will, from basically from their church. Um, Basically, there's a lot of believers that don't study the Bible for themselves, but what they know about the Bible is what someone else has taught them or what they've learned at church or or Bible camp or something like that. And so it's our desire. And, and, you know, like we were talking earlier too, um, you go to church all the time and the pastor is saying, you need to read your Bible, you need to study your word and stuff. And, And a lot of times they don't teach you how to study the Bible. I think that as believers, we're expected to 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 read the Bible, to study the Bible, but sometimes we're not taught, you know, the 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 skills and and the the um, the tools to study the Bible. So, basically, hopefully, we want to go through all of that. And um, today, specifically, we want to talk about we're, we're talking about why do we does it bother you that my feet are on this? No, I didn't
1: okay. think about it. Okay. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> um basically uh we've we've been talking about why study the word of god what what um what does it do for us and uh basically today i want to talk about can you hear all right lation yes okay um basically i want to talk about the uh the one of the reasons why we study the word of god is because it sanctifies us it uh it makes us holy and you know a lot of times we were talking like last week that uh um, theology, a lot of us say, well, I want to be a Christian, but, you know, I want to avoid theology. I want to stay away from theology. I just want to love Jesus. And the simple truth of the matter is that every person on this planet is a theologian. Everybody, what? Why are you laughing? I think agreeing with you and laughing. Sorry, I can mute it if that'll be distracting. No, you're fine. You're good. it's okay. It's okay. Feedback is good. Feedback is good. So... But yeah, essentially every person on this planet is a theologian because theology is simply what you believe about God. So even if you're an atheist, you're still a theologian because your belief about God is that God doesn't exist. Um, and it's funny because I've known people that are that are um, quote-unquote atheists and their whole life is fighting against the existence of God. Well, if you don't believe in God, then why do you fight so hard to discount God? You know what I'm saying? So... Um, and so to break down the word sanctification, we looked it up in Webster's and basically the word in Webster's means, um, it means to be made holy, consecrated, or set apart unto something. Um, and it's as, it's as if someone was keeping something precious to themselves. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's the, it's the idea of having something that, that you guard, that you're jealous over, that is that is so precious to you that it's, it's, you know, it's like a treasure to you and stuff. And so basically when we sanctify ourselves unto God, he becomes our treasure. And also at the same time, when we are sanctifying ourselves unto God, um, we become his treasure, right? And um, another sense of the word sanctification is we always talk about the word "holy" and being holy h o l y but also there 's a there 's a an aspect of sanctification that is holy w h o l l y in that um, we give to God everything that we are we don 't give to God just a part of us like you were talking about mm-hmm. earlier, and I was the same way before I got truly gave my life over to the Lord. It's like, I wanted to be in the world, but I wanted to follow God too. I wanted to be able to party and to, and to uh, you know, chase the things of the world, but at the same time, I wanted God to get me out of my, all, my, all my troubles and all of the, the fixes that I got myself into and the bad situations and stuff. And I believe that if you read the Bible, um, for what the Bible says, the Bible is about Lordship salvation it's about Jesus Christ if Jesus Christ pay, went to the cross suffered everything that he suffered for us and died for us and rose again from the dead and God gave his son for that purpose then he gave everything for us and if we're going to be if we're going to call ourselves believers if we're going to follow him if we're going to be his disciples then part of that sanctification, uh, an aspect of that sanctification that we're giving to him is that we're giving holy. We're giving everything that we have to him. And we're saying, God, everything that I am, I want you to come. I want you to transform. I want you to renew. I want you to, to make me into the image of your son. Because it's,
2: it's a marriage.
0: It is a marriage. And so part of it is also is being pure in heart or disposition. Um, We call men or women holy whose hearts are conformed at least to some degree to the image of God. And just like we, again, we were talking earlier, um, if you're a believer, there has to be some part of you that wants to be made into the image of God. There has to be some part of you that says, God, I want to be like you. I want to, I want to lay aside my sins. I want to lay aside the things that entangle me. I want to lay aside the things that aren't like you, and I want to be conformed into your image. So um, so let's look at some scripture. In Ephesians 5, oh, he wants to borrow a Bible. Do we have a oh, Bible? Sure. I can
3: mm-hmm. use my phone. No, 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 it's fine. You can use this one. Okay. Thank you for the watermelon, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I've had any watermelon I get in the water. And
0: yeah, <laughs> Actually, before we go to Ephesians, let's look at First Kings chapter eight. First Kings chapter eight verse fifty seven. And so, again, as we study the word, we're going to, like, at some point, we'll get into the Old Testament and talk about how to understand the types and shadows and how the Old Testament relates to our lives and all that kind of stuff, too. And in verse uh, 57, this is when, after Solomon had built the temple for the Lord and he was dedicating the temple to God, uh, we all know the prayer in 1 Corinthians 7 where he, he prays, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and seek your face and turn from their wicked ways, then you'll hear from heaven, right? So this is essentially right after he prays that prayer, and in verse fifty-seven he says, "May the Lord our God be with us, as He was, as He was with our fathers. May He not leave us or forsake us, that He may incline our hearts to Himself, to walk in all His ways, and to keep His commandments and His statutes and His ordinances, which He commanded our fathers." And may these words of mine, which I have made supplication before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, as each day requires, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no one else. Look at this in verse 61. So let your heart be, therefore be wholly devoted to the Lord our God, to walk in his statues and to keep his commandments as it is to this day. So again, when, when Solomon built the temple for the Lord and stuff, the first thing he's praying is God make our hearts devoted to you. And not only did he pray that God would make their hearts devoted, but he also said to the people, make sure your hearts are devoted to him. And that's the way sanctification is. Sanctification is a two-way street. Um, there is, theres There's God's part. There's the part where God comes in and washes us and cleanses us. And he gives us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And he gives us his spirit to walk in those ways. So God does everything that he can do to make us holy. But there also has to be the willingness in our hearts to be holy. Um, as, As we all know, it's discipleship. It's a walk. It's not something that just automatically happens. To be holy, it's like... If you want to study the Word, you have to begin somewhere, right? You have to start reading Scriptures. You have to start... And it may be small steps, but to, to, to get into the things of God, to get into prayer, to get into worship, sometimes things like that are hard for our flesh. But the more we do them, just like we talked about last time, the more we do it, the more we love doing it. And it becomes <laughs> after... Um, after a while it becomes something to where you're not trying to force it anymore now it's like you can't live without it now it's like man i can't get up in the morning and start my day without studying the word of god i can't get up in the morning and start my day and go to work without having spent time with the lord otherwise it's like your whole day is screwed up and so and that's the way it is because um we are spirit beings but we live in fleshly bodies and what we have learned all of our lives when we were living in sin, before we were following God, all we lived for was to feed the flesh. And our whole entire existence, like animals, was how are we going to today satisfy my flesh? And as believers, everything turns around. And so now we're trying to discover how it is that I live to feed my spirit and That's not, again, that's something that comes with practice. That's something that comes with um, um, discipline. And that's why the Bible says over and over, discipline yourself for the purposes of godliness. Because in our flesh, that's not what we want to do. And so one thing about sanctification is we always think that sanctification is this, oh man, God is angry. God wants me to be holy. God wants me to be this stuffy, upright person and, and not to do bad things and and all that. And so we think of it in all of like negative connotations. Like it's this negative thing like all, holiness is it's just being legalistic or being um uptight and things like that. And there is you can go too far. You can be legalistic. But the thing about holiness, the thing about sanctification is I lay aside my sins so that I can draw closer to him. Because the thing that the Father loves is he loves holiness. The thing that Jesus did, the, thing, the way he lived his life, is that he lived his life in such a way that the Father was pleased with everything that he did. And if we are disciples of Christ, if we are followers of Christ, to some degree, that, that should be in us as well.
2: Marriage,
0: it's marriage. It is. Speaking of marriage, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Since you're stealing my thunder. She, I, she sneaks and reads my notes for me. ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 now this is a scripture that is always used about wives loving their husbands and and it does apply to that but also in the middle of that it talks about how christ loves his people his church his bride and in verse um 25 says husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. You see that? So again, when we come to the Bible, and, and again, it has to be mixed with faith. If you, if you just read the Bible as a religious exercise, you're not going to get anything out of it. But if you're reading the Bible to know him, if you're reading the Bible, and like James says, you're a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word, that word will come in and wash you and cleanse you from all the things that you used to walk in. And you'll find yourself being more and more um, like him and not walking in those things. And, um, you know, it says... And in that scripture, it talks about all the things that Christ does for his church. It talks about that he cleanses her, that he washes her. In verse 27, it says that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So that is God's desire for his bride. And, you know, God wants a people that are without spot, that are without blemish, and I believe that we as believers, I think that in this day and age, our whole mindset is, you know what, if I sin, God's going to forgive me, right. you know, and it's like, and, and it's like, it's like, it's like the whole concept of it's better to ask for forgiveness rather than to ask for permission, you know, so a lot of times we do things that we know are not pleasing to God, and we, we just say, well, he'll forgive me for that, And the thing is, it's a heart that truly wants to know God says, you know, I don't want to live like that. I want to live to where my life is pleasing to God. And the things that I read about in his word that tells me that I'm wrong, then I need to change that. And I don't try to conform uh, the word to fit my needs. I don't try to conform um, the word to fit my desires. I change my desires to what the word says. And so, and again, when we read those scriptures, we read about what all the things that Christ is doing for, you know, that he does for his church, that he washes her, that he sanctifies her so that you will have no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Well, think about it from our standpoint, from our point of view. Um, Think of any wedding that you've ever been to. The bride, I mean, the bride spends weeks beforehand getting ready. She gets manicures, pedicures. She gets um, She spends a fortune on dress, on the dress and things. And um, and then when the wedding ceremony starts, what happens? Every eye in the building turns and looks to the bride. When, when, when people are getting married, when a couple are getting married, no one cares about the groom. <laughs> Everybody looks at the bride. Yeah and that's the thing that is such a picture of the church if we're if we are truly walking in in that sanctification if we've truly allowed him to wash us and cleanse us and make us pure we are that bride we are that bride that you know the doors open and it's like "Ah," and, and it's just you know and it's it's something that this world needs to see right the world needs a testimony of a bride that is walking in purity and holiness and and it is sanctified unto the husband. Yeah, that's so. good.
1: In Revelation, it says, like, and the bride has made herself ready. Right. And, like, right. Yeah. There's a glory in that. Mm-hmm. And it's it is. Like we're already mm-hmm. we're destined to be married And the mm-hmm. church. says, so the Lord, but it's like we have this process right. of getting ourselves ready. when mm-hmm. then comes the day. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And the thing is, too, it's for the bride, it's not something that she goes, man i got to make myself look pretty for my husband. she's excited about it. It's it's, it's like that's what she lives for. Uh And and and, and both parties are blessed because the husband says, look at my bride, you know, look at... And so the husband is blessed because he has such a beautiful bride and the bride is blessed because she, you know, she she blesses the heart of the husband. Go ahead. I was
4: going to say,
2: Yeah.
0: There's there's your phone okay. It's good. Something's your phone's rubbing. making noises Something's like
2: Something's rubbing on the mic. And um, the phone is just
0: sitting there. Oh How
2: weird. Okay. Never mind. Okay. Go ahead. It's a holy
0: <laughs> and Megan, oh, the Holy Spirit.
2: Megan, your words are anointed go. Okay. So
4: it reminded me of that video that Jeremy shared with the speaker. the the people. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I like, what? Mm
3: -hmm.
4: Um, So anyway, this dream that I had, I was in like this parade and I wasn't a part of the parade. I was like in the crowd, but there was like tons and tons of people and I'm like very, um, when it comes to like doors or furniture, I'm very intrigued by those things like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I look to my right and I see this huge red door. And it was like, had such beautiful detail on it. It was like an older door, but very, like, taken care of. And I remember coming out of the crowd as we walked in the street, and everybody's, like, everywhere. Like, I mean, when I say parade, it was, like, something I had never seen. And I looked to my right, and I kind of moved through people and go through this door. And I entered this place where it seemed like nobody was in. And I kind of like went into this room, and there was a bride getting ready, and she was by herself. And so, me being a wedding planner, I was like, "Can I help you? Like, do you need help?" It's just like, "Nope, no, no. You sit. I'm gonna prepare myself, and you wait." And when I woke up, I was like, "Wow! Like, it just showed me like, like yes, we need each other, but like, somebody else can't prepare me." for mm-hmm. the Lord's return wow. you that's know amazing. like mm-hmm. I have to prepare myself and like nobody was helping her which I mm-hmm. I thought she had been left alone and, mm-hmm. and she was so joyous and so mm-hmm. excited mm-hmm. and she was also like what can I you know mainly she was a servant to me she mm-hmm. just wanted me to sit there and just mm-hmm. yeah it was pretty interesting that's so. cool because that that that's goes awesome.
2: back to what to what mm-hmm. Dean was saying is like I think he said or relation said it earlier but you can't depend on simply your pastor to Mm. teach you you have to go to the well yourself and drink you know um, and not rely on someone else's relationship with god yeah yeah it's not that pastors are bad like you said it's just that you also have to go right and prepare yourself
0: okay so we're just going to look at some kind of some scriptures concerning the word sanctifying us Um, turn to psalm 119 verse 9 mm mm-hmm. okay psalm 119 verse 9 how can a young man and we know obviously it applies to young women also <laughs> how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word and look at this with all my heart i have sought you do not let me wander from your commandments Verse 11, your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Turn to another place, Proverbs chapter 2.
2: Can I just say a comment on that? Sure. Um, So to me, that just basically, your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's a short sentence, but it carries a lot of weight. And I've noticed with my own life that if I'm struggling with a particular sin, that if I try to find scriptures related to that sin, let's say it's anger, and I meditate on those scriptures throughout the day, I am less likely to sin in that area. So um, when we treasure the, those words in our heart, it, it gives us actually strength to overcome sin. So.
0: And that's and basically we'll talk about that in a little bit, but that's the whole thing. When you get the word into you, it begins to renew your mind. Because the thing is, is we we are essentially... The Bible says, as a man thinks, so is he. And basically, we act or react or live or whatever according to what our mind says. You know, if our mind says, you know what, I want to live on the streets, I want to do drugs and things like that, you follow it. I mean, as the mind is, so you are, you know, yeah. and stuff. And so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about renewing our mind and washing our minds and stuff. Um, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1.
2: Holy Spirit, welcome. We're, we're glad you're here.
0: <laughs> are you, are you, is your phone under an air conditioning vent? I'm
1: Can
0: you hear again?
2: No. Can you not hear the wind blowing?
1: No. Okay. You're
0: breathing really hard. Okay. Okay, Proverbs chapter two, verse one. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. If you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly godly ones. Um, Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil from the man who speaks perverse things. So again, that's the Word cleanses us, the Word helps us to walk, um, and teaches us the way to walk. Because basically, it's I don't know, especially guys, I think, especially when we're young, uh, we don't have a lot of wisdom. <laughs> guys are pretty much immature and we just do stupid things, right? And so when we begin to study the word, it begins to bring that wisdom. There's a psalm. I meant to look it up, but I forgot. But there's a psalm where David said, your word makes, gives me more wisdom than the aged, you know? And so, and I believe that this generation needs some young women, but young men also to just rise up and have the wisdom of God and to walk in the wisdom of God and, again, be that bride that the world can see and want to emulate. Um, so,
2: and,
0: the difference between, and so, let, I want to talk.
2: Mute, mute your thing. Mute it. Mute it. What? Mute!
1: Press mute.
2: Can you
1: hear us? Like mute? Yes. Yeah. We
2: love you. Let me see if I can figure this out. <laughs> okay, that's better. That's, good. that's better.
0: Stay just like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now tied up tied up with sanctification is repentance. Oh, and I want to talk a little bit about repentance because I think that a lot of times in a lot of our our churches, we get the wrong idea of repentance. We're told over and over that repentance means to change your mind. And for me, that's never been enough. Repentance doesn't mean to change your mind. Repentance means to change your mindset. Does that make sense? Because the idea of being able to change your mind, that means like, well, I would sin, but you know, right now I'd rather do something else. Whereas when you repent and when, when there's true repentance, it makes you want to not walk in that at all. Does that make sense? So if it's, if, if when we say repentance means just to change your mind, that makes it sound like it's some convenient thing that you can, you can do today, but not necessarily tomorrow. However, if, if it's to change your mindset, that means that's to change the way that I think about things. If I like If I like to lust, that means that I need to change that desire to where I don't like to lust anymore. If I like drugs, that means to change that desire to where I don't want to do drugs anymore. You know, the reason why people sin... I mean, we, we, we make all kinds of excuses for why I sinned, why I fell, why I did this. My parents were, uh, were mean to me. I had a rough uh, childhood growing up. And we all have circumstances. We all have situations. We all have things that, give us, that could give us an excuse to, to sin and things. But um, I completely forgot what So the was reason going. why we sin. The reason why we sin is simple, because we enjoy sinning. right I mean even if we're battling things if we're why did you start doing the drugs in the first place because you enjoyed doing the drugs right and um, so to me the goal is to take that desire from my heart that to to take that enjoyment from me and make my enjoyment now the things of God rather than the things that I used to practice the things that I used to indulge in now I don't indulge in those things now I indulge in the things of God does that make sense and so um turn to 2nd Corinthians chapter 7 and and i believe i believe again that that's the way a lot of us as believers do we're like we will will it's like we try to tackle the problem temporarily right. instead of saying you know what i want to put this thing to death and that's that's the that's the whole message of the cross the whole message of the cross was putting sin to death so that it's not something that we deal with all the time it's something that That you get victory over and i'm not saying that it's easy and i'm not saying that you won't stumble or fall But i'm saying that you can get on that road to where it becomes less and less and less and I believe you can come to the point To where it's it's not a factor anymore. Does that make sense?
2: We go from glory to glory and strength to strength. Yeah,
0: exactly and in second corinthians chapter 7 verse 8 now, this is, in 2 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, Paul was talking about a, uh, a man who was sleeping with his father's wife, right. his stepmother or whatever and stuff. And basically, Paul said, you need to deal with this situation because if you don't, like manna, it's going to spread throughout the whole body and it's going to infect anybody, everybody. And so Paul, or the, the, the people in Corinthians, they dealt with it. They actually excommunicated the guy. The guy repents. And so Paul, after that, says, let him back in. Receive him back into fellowship. (laughs) And in verse 8, he says, For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that my letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. So again, Paul's not just this angry preacher, you know, you need to, you know... Thunderbolts and fire and stuff like that. Paul, when he disciplined his people, he did it as a father, and it wasn't something that he took pleasure in. It wasn't something that was easy for him. It brought him sorrow to discipline his children. Verse nine, he says, "I now rejoice that you were made sorrowful, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance." For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. In other words, so that you won't uh, lose anything with God. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Look at this in verse 11, for behold, what earnestness, this very thing, this repentance, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong in everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in this matter. And I like where it says, um, what indignation. So again, when, when they were convicted of their sins, it wasn't something that they dealt with lightly. It was like that cancer that we were talking about your pastor. They, they, when they went into his brain, they pulled that whole thing out. And when they do brain, when they would do brain surgery and when they pull tumors out, they try to get every bit of it because if they leave roots, those roots will continue to grow. And so again, that's a good picture of repentance, um, turn to first Samuel chapter 15 we're going to take a couple uh, we're going to look at a couple examples of of repentance bad and good first Samuel chapter 15. um so the way that god wanted the people of israel to be is he wanted them to follow him he didn't want them to be like the other nations and have a king over them to lead them and stuff because he wanted to be their king he wanted to them to be led by the prophets and the prophets to say this is what's God's saying and we're going to follow that but they looked at all the nations around them and they said, we want a king like the nations and uh you know, I think that a lot of times in the church, we try to be like the world. I mean, the, the world, they go to concerts, they have fog machines, so we'll bring fog machines into the church. Yeah. Uh, we went to a church in Colorado where, where they would play a secular rock song before every service. And, I mean, you're coming into the presence of God. You're coming into the holiness of God. You're coming into worship, which is sacred to God. And you're bringing secular rock songs in it to to, to try to gain people in the world and stuff. And so part, I think that what happens is instead of trying to be like God, we're trying to be like the world and hoping that the world's going to see that example and want to follow it. But that's not what happens because to follow Jesus, you have to come to the cross. And the cross says, you're going to have to die. You're going to have to die to your desires. You're going to have to die (laughs) to what you want and the way that you think it should be and the way that you want it to be, and you're going to follow the cross. And the cross says death to self. The cross doesn't say, I'm going to pamper you. I'm going to make it good for you. I'm going to make it as comfortable for you, as nice for you and and everything. The cross says you die, and it's God's way now. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean. God's
4: way is really good.
0: Huh? His way. Is it life. is. His, his yoke amazing. is easy and his burden yeah. is light, mm-hmm. but it is his way. Mm-hmm. You know, and it isn't trying to imitate what the world's right. doing. Yeah. It's, you know. So, um, I think
4: people sometimes like even myself when I was under the law, I came into uh, trying to live righteously, you know, like after I fell back into sin after I had gotten saved and delivered. And then I was trying so hard to please God that I fell into legalism and I was like wearing a straight jacket all yeah. the time. And that wasn't freedom. That wasn't what God had really called me to. And so it took a few years for him to like continue to show me that grace. Like he just... To bring the balance. Yeah. yeah he to totally balanced. brought balance. But yeah. it took a while and I think sometimes people think... Like the way that I, I see it now is that like narrow is the gate and wide is the path that leads to destruction sure. but I, I think sometimes it's kind of like an hourglass like in the world it's wide you know but when we get into a narrow path with the Lord like his kingdom is wide too and we just can't see it if yeah. our eyes are close to it and he has free green pastures to, for us to roam on but there's boundaries Yeah. and those boundaries are really good and for us to be able to walk in that like what I've learned is that like there's so much more freedom in Christ, you know, like we're in bondage when we're in the world and people don't really see that because they think
0: they have distorted view of what freedom looks like. But, yeah. Yeah. And that's why I say, like, and again, like even their study of the Word and things like that, you know, I people have busy lives, people have things that are going on and there are some days you can't study the Word. I mean, you just have things going on and, and stuff, but... But what I'm trying to instill in us is the desire. Mm -hmm. Because where the desire is, then everything else will follow. And where the desire is, we'll make time, you know. Because honestly, we do waste a lot of time. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. we do. Uh, I mean, we could all spend more time in the Word. I mean, simple. Simply put, you know and stuff. And so, but I'm not saying that that's where we need to be. I'm saying that let 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 the Lord come in, and stir that desire in you, mm-hmm. and stir up that desire in yourself. Just like Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift of God within you, because that's what happens sometimes. It's like a fire. Um, sometimes your fire can be roaring and you know and just like a bonfire and stuff like that. But but a fire has to be fed and if if we don't feed the fire sometimes it'll kind of try to burn down and and pretty soon all you got is coals and yeah. stuff and so you sometimes you got to get some fresh firewood and and blow on the coals and 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 uh effort. you gotta
2: go gather the wood yeah, yeah. you know
0: and stuff so
3: i think of like what you were just saying kind of like the illustration of you know a lot of times there is really not enough proper time to study the word but i think about like a lot of um when you, when you said desire it made me think of like a lot of kind of like puppy love relationships i've been in and when i had absolutely a packed schedule and and you know didn't have any time for anything I still find a way to try to contact, like, you know, these people, like, I'd be texting and driving, like, imagine if, you know, people were dying because they're trying to read their Bible. <laughs> <laughs> they want it so bad, you know what I mean? Like, so, I mean, I think about it, like, we always make time for the things that we really want. That was awesome, exactly. Thomas.
1: That's exactly. True.
0: And where your heart is, there's, there's where your treasure is. Yeah. It's up and, and so, and, that, and, and that's the thing. And all I'm saying is, if there's not some of that desire then we need to search our hearts sure, and say, why that. is that not yeah. there? And, and I've done that. I've had to do that. There have been times in, you know, when I didn't want to pray or I didn't want to study the Word. And it's like, God, what's wrong with me? What's going on? What is the deal with my heart? And I would pray, God, stir up my heart. Stir up my heart. I want to do it. And, and, you know, and the Lord will do that. The Holy Spirit will begin to stir that flame up and, and things. All He's looking for is someone that's willing. All he's looking for is someone that's it, God God is on the search for a willing heart. Right. Always. He's on the move, looking for people whose hearts are willing, and if he finds a willing heart, he will blow on those coals and stuff. Amen. Um, so um 1 Samuel 15 verse 1. Um, so Samuel okay. Verse one, then Samuel said to Saul, Samuel was the prophet, Saul was the king. Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. So right there in Saul's mind, his ears should have perked up and he said, this isn't just like someone speaking. This is the word of God right here. Verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he had set himself against him on the way while he's coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has. Do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Do you see that? Now I want to pause right there, okay? I want to talk about understanding the Old Testament. The Old Testament was physical realities that are, for us in the New Testament, spiritual realities, okay? Now, these things literally happened to them. They literally had to fight against people. They literally went to war and things. For us, the Bible says uh, our enemies are not flesh and blood, but they're principalities, powers, things like that. Not only that, but it's also the sin that's in our hearts, the things that we, that we try to justify, the things that we try to hold on to. Those things, if left unchecked, those things will overtake your heart like weeds, mm-hmm. like the roots in, in, in a tumor and things. And so when we read stuff like this, we don't think, oh, God's just this angry God and he wants to destroy people. For us, and by the way, these people were were, were Satan worshippers, and God says had nothing to do with them. The people of Israel allowed them into them, and as a result, the people of Israel became Satan worshippers also.
1: I have a question. But, mm-hmm. The Am- Amalek, were the ones that, that God told Moses they hadn't, because of sin, like he waited 400 years to bring them out, because it says the sin of whatever wasn't fulfilled yet. Was that Yeah, Amalek? I
0: think it was, yeah, okay. Amalek. And that's the thing. So, so God said, had nothing to do with them, because if you do, they will lead your hearts astray. And that's exactly what happened. Okay, so to apply that to us as New Testament believers, the thing is, is you got things lurking in your heart. If you do not deal with those things, if you do not, if you play with them and say, you know what? I'm going to strike them a little bit with a sword, but I'm not going to really kill it because I kind of like it a little bit. If you're not careful, those things will come back and they will take over your heart and they Mm -hmm. will destroy you. Mm -hmm. Okay? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. So verse three. So verse three, now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has, and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox, sheep, camel and donkey. Again, with the infant thing, there's the parts of our sins that we're like, oh, but that's a nice little sin. It's not going to hurt nobody. Look how cute it is. It's, it's, a, it's an innocent little sin. God says, put it to death. Wow. Verse 4, then Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. Saul came to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the valley. Saul said to the Kenites, go depart, go down from among the Amalekites that the Amalekites do not destroy you with them, for you showed kindness to the sons of Israel. So Paul's letting the Kenites go free. And then verse seven, so Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. So he utterly destroyed all the people. So he's getting serious about this. But look at this in verse nine, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs and all that was good. And they were not willing to destroy them utterly, but everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. Then in verse 10, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret that I've made Saul king for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, and it it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself. Then he turned down and proceeded on down to Gilgal. And that's the way we as believers do. We fight against a few sins and we have a little bit of victory and then all of a sudden we're like powerful now. We're like these mighty men of God and these mighty women of God. And we're like, yeah, you know, and stuff. And and God's like, no. And then in verse 12, so, or verse 13, Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, I mean, imagine this. Saul's like feeling all proud of himself, patting him on the back, and he's thinking he's really done good. And then Samuel says, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen What did I hear? I mean, that would be such a smack in the face. It's like, oh, and I've, I've had the spirit smack me. It's like, what about this? You know? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people, not me, the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen, and obviously is to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we utterly destroyed. <laughs> then Samuel said to Saul, Wait and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And Saul said to him, Speak. Samuel says, Is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel? And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? So, and again, and then just one more scripture because it goes on and on. Verse 35, um, no, not there. Let's see, verse 26, Samuel said, so, Basically, Samuel tells Saul, God has rejected you. God made you king, you sinned against him, and so God's going to find someone else. And then Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, uh, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you for being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of the robe, and it tore. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Um... Oh, look at this in verse thirty. Then Saul said, "I've sinned, but look at this. But please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God." So again, instead of dealing with the issue that God is trying to get to, is the heart, and so Samuel is complete, or Saul is completely missing this. Samuel's rebuking it, and I believe that if Saul would have said, "I." you know, if Saul would have repented and said, you know what? You're guilty. Everything you say is true. I repent before God. God changed my heart. I believe God would have restored him. He was doing but but still, to the very end, he's like going, go with me before the people. Make me look good in front of them. You know, I've got this monument and stuff. All these people are looking up to me. Don't, don't you know, say these bad things against me and leave it like that. Walk with me. So, there's not a heart of humility. of humility and brokenness and says, God, you're right. You you've Christ exposed you. me. You've, you've seen my sin. And I want to repent. I want to deal with that. I want to get it right. Um, Somebody else in the Bible saying studying
2: that too. Yeah. Go
0: Paul. <laughs> join us. Hey. Turn to Psalm chapter 51. <laughs> it's funny. Psalms chapter
2: what?
0: 51. Um, this is a song I read last night. Sure. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, we all know what Saul did or Sam or David yes. how he sinned Bas- with Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. Not only did he sin with Bathsheba, he had her husband killed so mm-hmm. that his sins wouldn't be found out, yeah. so he sinned, and then he covered it up and so God sent Nathan the prophet to him, and Nathan tells him this story about there's these two guys, one of them's a rich man, the other man's a poor man um uh, and a friend of theirs came and had a had a banquet. And the rich man instead of taking his from his vast herd a sheep to sacrifice for his sin or friend, to to feed his friend, he took the poor man's only sheep who was like a child to him that he that he slept with and was like a, a puppy to him and stuff. And uh, Nathan and and David's wrath gets upset and he says that man should be put to death. And then Nathan says, "You, you are, are that, that man." man. Mm. I mean. and then he did the opposite of
2: saul and he humbled himself
3: yeah and
0: so instead of instead of saying will honor me and make me look good and and kind of brush over my sins he he says you're right and in psalm 51 it's uh it's his response verse one be gracious to me O god according to your loving kindness according to the greatness of your compassion blot out my transgressions Look at this verse 2 wash me thoroughly from my iniquity in other words don't just forgive my sin he's not just asking for forgiveness he's asking for change he wants to be washed he wants to be he wants to be delivered he wants to be changed he says wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for i know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you you only i have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Um, look at verse six, verse six. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost part, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Look at this, verse 10. One of the best verses in the entire Bible. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. So, again, David's...
2: Restore me the joy of my salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit.
0: Yeah. And so, again, it's the contrast between a repentance that, that is just see the thing is, is a lot of it is like a kid getting caught with his hand in the cookie jar that
2: was so. huh? that was
0: so. <laughs> yeah a lot of us a lot of us are upset when we get busted mm-hmm. because we got caught right. we're not upset because you know what I was That's doing something happened. wrong you know it's oh like man I got caught with my hand in the cookie jar as soon as she turns her back I'm going to be back up there you know and and the, that's the thing, that's the difference Don't between a worldly repentance and a true repentance. The true repentance says, God, come and wash this from me. Come take this out by the roots. Renew my mind. Make me someone that's different. Make me someone that's new. So, again.
2: David, David was grieved that he hurt the Father's heart.
0: Right. And, that, yeah, that's the thing, too. It's like. Um, like when you want to, I mean, there's nothing that breaks a parent more than when you want to punish your kid. And they're like, go ahead, do whatever you need to do because I deserve it. You know, <laughs> Cause they, how could you punish the kid after that, you know? And, but that's true repentance. And that's the heart that the father longs for is a child that wants to do his will. A child that wants to be pleasing to him and doesn't want to, to offend him. Um, we had a, we had
3: a, um, a teaching no you're good we had a teaching on psalms 51 and like there's so many dimensions to his repentance and not only like because a lot of times we'll minimize our sins he doesn't do that he he actually puts emphasis on his sins behold i was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me he makes his sins even worse but not only that he goes and says that he will teach because of his sin because of his repentance he will teach transgressors Mm. I will teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners will be converted to thee. So that he will not only change, but he will, because of the sin that he committed, be able to teach others to change as well. So it's like he emphasizes his sin, and he says, "I'm going to help others
0: change because of this sin." Like it just, it's really good. That's, awesome. That's good. Thank That's you. That's good. awesome. Um, turn to Second Corinthians, or actually Romans, chapter twelve.
3: Sorry. The watermelon. <laughs> <laughs> <Water> <laughs> there's, there's more water than melon <laughs> yeah, right. Romans, two? Romans 12 verse one.
1: Mm-hmm. Romans chapter 12 did
2: you
0: say yeah
2: yep.
0: and again this is a scripture that we all know but again it's good to be reminded sometimes I, I could um, as a teacher Ruth you probably believe in repetition so I think that that's the way we learn, and and again, that's that's the purpose of the word too, is the repetition, and you know, it's like you can read the Bible a thousand times. Every time you read it, you're going to get something new out of it. I think
1: that's why Moses had to repeat himself like a times in the Old Testament. Yeah, <laughs> and and they
0: still didn't like, get oh. it, right?
1: We don't
0: do that anymore. Thanks,
1: Moses. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, this is how you want us to do it. Okay, thank you. All right. Let me say it a different ways in case you missed <laughs> how it. How can I say it time. again? <laughs> it's the same thing with
0: a different inflection. Like, yeah, right. Don't do that. <laughs> right. Don't do it. Don't. And that's it. We'll talk a little bit about meditation and things. And that I think that that is the purpose of meditation on the Word. Is that you meditate on it to where, because, you know, we read the Bible and it's not real to us a lot of times. But as you begin to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it, all of a sudden it begins to become real. It begins to to latch on to you and and to to not just be head knowledge, now it begins to be heart knowledge. Um, Romans 12 verse 1. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Again, it's just not what God does. God doesn't just Calvinistically make you the perfect Christian. There's God's part, and then there's our part. He says, I urge you by the uh, mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Um, turn to another place, Second um, Corinthians chapter 10. 3 it says for though we walk in the flesh and again we before we be- became Christians before we started seriously following God we lived in our flesh and that's the whole difference between the Bible talks about um, those who are fleshly or are of the world and stuff like that it talks about we're spirit we're, we're, we live by the spirit now and so that's the whole difference between the, the spirit and the flesh when you follow the flesh, you're living according to what gratifies your flesh, what makes your flesh happy. I want to go um, do whatever and stuff. And now that we've become Christians, we start living our lives by a whole new pattern, and that is feeding our spirit and not our flesh. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warf- warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. So this whole, the whole scripture is talking about warfare. It's, ca- it's talking about destroying fortresses. It says, we're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So... We've learned over years and years and years, we've learned how to think like the world. And there are strongholds. This whole Christian walk starts in the mind. I mean, it is a spiritual thing, but the spirit is so closely related to the mind that you can't separate the two. And uh, uh, Hebrews 4 talks the word of God being sharp and able to divide between soul and spirit, the thoughts and intentions. So it's the word of God that's able to come in and divide where we can't divide. Because we think that things are like this, but the Word of God says they're like this. And, and so we're trying to be like this, and God's trying to be like this. So it takes that Word of God to come in and begin to cut and separate and say, No, this that you think is God is not God. This is part of the flesh and stuff. So God begins to cut those things away. I
1: thought it was interesting that Jesus died on Gol- Golgotha place of the place skull, of the skull is yeah. like, so there's oh, this that's, transformation of the that's mind that's good <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's really good kind
0: of
3: crazy.
0: okay so he says yeah so he says we're destroying uh, speculations every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and so and the thing is, when you first read that, a lot of times you might think of, of the thoughts that are in the world. You know, you listen to the news and the stuff that they're saying is obviously not God-like, you know, Christ-like or whatever and stuff. But it's not talking about that so much as he's talking about within you. We're destroying the speculations that are in your own mind, the thoughts that are in your own mind, the fortresses, the strongholds that are in your mind. We're taking those things captive now. We're not just letting them reign and and do what they want to, but we're taking those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. And, uh.
2: Can we read Romans 8? Can I read Romans 8?
3: Go
0: ahead.
2: It's along those lines. Let's see. What the law could not do because it was for the flesh. God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, and nor is it even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And the whole, whole entire chapter is amazing, but it just, to me, shows how um, in Galatians 5 it says, he who walks by the spirit will not carry out the deeds of the flesh and then you read galatians 5 and you're like well what does it mean to walk in the spirit and it tells you right here that if you're setting your minds on things above and you're setting your mind on the word you're that's how you walk in the spirit and when you do that you're not going to carry out the desires of your flesh
0: and again it's a it's a progression the more you set your mind on the things of the spirit it's like there's an analogy and it's kind of cheesy i guess but like the analogy that there's two dogs that live inside of you and, you know, there's a white dog and there's a black dog and the one that you feed will be the stronger one and stuff. And, you know, it's cheesy, but it's true. That's good, yeah. the, 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 whatever you feed in yourself is going to be strong. If you're feeding your spirit, your spirit is going to be strong. But if you're feeding your flesh, if you're just spending hours watching TV or just wasting time, you know, and stuff, you're not feeding your spirit, your flesh is going to be strong. So again, it's just, what do you want to feed? What do you want to be strong? Um, Turn to Matthew 16, verse 24. And I think that that'll make this more understandable. Matthew sixteen twenty four says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, must deny his desires, what he wants and follow me uh, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So again, I believe that this is part of the taking up your cross daily. This is part of the part of the carrying the cross all is all the discipline stuff, all the stuff of dying to yourself i don't want to study the word right now. well, you know if you study the word, you will be blessed, you will feed your inner man you'll be stronger in your spirit if you don't, you'll be stronger in your flesh. so what do you want and and it comes down to us making those choices. It comes to us though saying, in that moment, I'm going to carry my cross. I'm going to do what's, what my flesh doesn't like, but what my spirit likes. So, um, so how do we do it? I mean, how, how do we... One thing that I don't like personally is like uh, when people are teaching, but they don't give you practical ways to do what they're teaching about. Right? And so how do you let the 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 word wash your mind? How do you let it sanctify your mind? And basically one of the main things that's like we were talking about earlier is meditation on the word. And um like like for instance, like I've got Psalm 91 memorized, not because I tried to memorize it, because I but because I meditate on it. Every morning and every night I go to it and I study it and I read it and I let it and, and the word in the Hebrew for meditation is the same word uh, for when a cow chews cud have you watched, ever watched a cow? all day long they just sit there and chew and chew and chew because right. they don't have they can't properly digest their food so the way yes, they, so they digest is by chewing job, right? exactly yeah. and so and that is the Hebrew word for meditation and so I, I'm not saying, medita- saying memorization is not good but I think meditation is what really really builds your spirit when you take scriptures and you just go over them and over them and over them and just like cindy you were t- saying sometimes like you can read a scripture like one way and then you read it another way and add an inflection somewhere else and you're like uh, oh okay you know it kind of gives a kind of a shade of new meaning or whatever and stuff and so um so as you begin to meditate and just like amy was talking about earlier um when you begin to meditate on certain scriptures and basically say whatever you're dealing with, you go to scriptures that deal with that certain thing and you begin to meditate on them and you'll see that it will begin to give you strength. It will give, begin to give you victory. It will begin to give you um, authority over the things that you're dealing with. And I'll just give some quick kind of um, 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 okay. examples. Like in James 4... Verse seven. You can you can turn there or you can listen either way. Um, say say you're dealing with addictions. In James four verse seven, he says, "Submit to, therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, your sinners, and purify your hearts, you double, double-minded. So if I'm dealing with like an addiction, something that I can't overcome. And I keep going to that scripture that says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, at first it's going to be difficult and you're still going to be falling into your temptations. You're still going to be falling into your sins. But I promise you, if you keep meditating on that word, after a while, you'll begin to believe it. Because what happens is, again, we, our minds have been fed by the world for, for, 20 30 years now, and we believe what the world said, and we don't believe what the word says. And so, we, do, we believe you know, we, we read the scriptures, but we, we don't really believe them. Mm-hmm. And the more we believe, the more we, um, we meditate on them, the word uh, that word begins to get into your heart, and it becomes begins to be real and it begins to become life to you.
2: Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing, yeah.
0: And a lot of times, when I meditate, I will read the scriptures out loud. I'll read them because there is something about hearing your own voice when you read something. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you read it, you know, and you're just reading it to yourself and you get stuff out of it. But sometimes you read it and it's like you're hearing it at the same time. And uh, uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 11.
3: Let's read the Psalm. It's a watermelon. Yes, it <laughs> is. Yeah, nice.
0: yes. Hebrews chapter 11. No wonder relation hasn't had to go to the bathroom this whole time. <laughs> Hmm. Um, one of the things that I admire about Megan is her faith. It seems like no matter what you're going through, you always have faith, and you're always able to believe God in those situations. Um, before we moved here, we lived in Colorado. That's where we met, met Lation. But we lived in Colorado. And I was working at Costco, but the price of living is higher in Colorado, so we couldn't really? afford to live there. Um, Amy came down here. We were separated for like six months. That's crazy. And the way Costco works is that you can put in a transfer for for a different place, mm-hmm. but you won't get it unless there's an opening. Right. And we tried transferring so many places. We tried Southern Colorado, where it's cheaper. We tried Hawaii, where we, we used to live in Hawaii and things, and we... And everything that we were trying was not working. And, uh, and like I say, we were separated for six months and I'm just like, and we're praying and we're praying and nothing's happening. And then all, all of a sudden that scripture in Hebrews 11 verse six, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That scripture came into my mind And I started thinking about it and I started going over it and over and over. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Because you know how it is a lot of times when you pray, but you don't really think that nothing's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? I may be the only one that does that. But, but there, it, it was a time like that. I'm praying, but you know, you know, you're like, well, you know, God does things for people, but you know, he doesn't, he's not really doing that for me right here and stuff. <laughs> and so, and so, and then, and then, and then your flesh gets mad at God. Well, God, why aren't you doing this? You know, and stuff. and, and I started meditating on that scripture without faith. It's impossible. It's, like, it's why it's impossible to please God it says, those who come to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And I kept meditating and meditating and meditating on that and praying. God gives, bring something up. Bring something up. And all of a sudden, I believed it. And I believed it. And I knew when I prayed, I knew that God answered the prayer at that moment and said, okay, I'm going to provide the way. Wow. I mean, have you ever prayed and you just knew mm-hmm. right in that moment that God heard that prayer. That comes yeah. through faith. And the thing is, is I didn't have that faith. And so I knew I didn't have that faith. And as I meditated on that scripture, that scripture began to create faith in me.
3: I've had moments where i prayed and I knew that something was different, but there was still doubt in my heart. I don't know if I've ever had a prayer that 100% like I knew that God had asked right. me in that moment. And, and maybe that different wrong. thing I, I, I is God area. speaking
1: to you. It then? was. I, I
3: realize now in, in, in hindsight it was, but at the yeah. moment without having seen it in retrospect that I didn't know. And yeah. I still like, even spirit. in that moment I doubted, I'm sorry. So <laughs> even <laughs> in that moment like I doubted like, like, well I don't know, like I really feel like if God ever heard me, he heard me at that time, you know and then later on to find out that my prayer had actually been answered. Yeah. But wow. at the moment, you know, knowing that like I don't know if I've ever, and maybe that's just, like, where my heart's at, and I need to grow in my faith, because I don't know if I've ever had that, just, like, yes, I know my prayer's have been answered, yeah. like, and that would be just awesome, you know, yeah. so...
0: And I don't think that that happens every day. No, it doesn't. You know what I'm saying? Not. But I, I do think that in your case, because mm-hmm. I was there, I was there, and I felt like, you know, I think God's answered this and stuff like that, but... I just felt like I needed to keep to going go and to keep going because I believe that what happens in, in that time is that is God saying you are on the right track. Keep going, right. keep mm-hmm. pressing in, and God is just wanting you to keep pressing in till boom, it happens. Right. And who knows why it happens? I, I prayer is a mystery to me. But you know, you even read in uh, Daniel what is it, chapter seven, where he prayed for for twenty one days before the angel yes. came and answered his prayer. And stuff, and and uh, but but when the angel came, he said, The Lord heard your prayer from the very beginning mm-hmm. and stuff, but but on. there exactly. Yeah. But I had to fight against the yeah, prince of Persia and, <laughs> and stuff like that, so there is an aspect yeah, of warfare crazy, and, you know, and stuff. Fighting mm-hmm. against the princes.
3: and like I was like, That's tough, That's yeah. Tough. Like, y'all haven't seen, like, Wonder... they're, they're battling over this right now, <laughs> like they're, <laughs> they're fighting they're... each other.
4: If y'all haven't seen Wonder Woman, Wonder I took my kiddos to see it. First. Harris's birthday, and that movie was such a clear picture to me of what it looks like for a battle in the spirit. Mm-hmm. And to elaborate how you what the movie how the movie because hers she's seen it I've seen
2: it so tell you tell us how um, you're seeing that in the spirit.
4: Well, I felt like she was a picture of the bride because mm-hmm. first she had a heart to stop for the one like that. Like there was a scene where she was going to war. She was going to there. They, they were on a mission to mm-hmm. go to war, and she's stopping for the one, and that touched my heart a lot because I felt like that in Nepal. You know, like mm-hmm. stopping for the one. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I felt like she's like she knew the like to me. It was clear like the intention of the father's heart for that and then on top of that just her sword and her shield she hid like she was behind and she was constantly making war on this evil thing and there were so many aspects as to why i felt like that but um she was just very courageous and but still gentle spirited and i when i watched that movie i was really discouraged that day I mean to the point of like I had, I have ever since my friend had died I had been in such a when I say warfare like physical like there was a lot of demonic attack happening and um, that day I had left Lisa's in Waxahachie and was crying the entire way to Denton and I didn't even know that I was going to take my daughter to see that movie at the time and I was just like crying out to the Lord, like, you have got to save me in this because I can't, like, I was too weak to even pray, to fight. And so um, when I saw that movie, it pumped up all this courage in me to really pray and, like, really see what, I felt like it was a picture of what that looks like. And I was also going to say, like, I think people, you know, like, who don't have a lot of faith, and things you know like I've talked to a lot of people and they're like oh well you have faith I don't but I'm like well I've prayed God I've asked God for a gift of faith I asked him for his faith like and yes I need more everyday like not like I struggle sometimes you know and so but I asked for more and I asked God a long time ago for his faith I didn't want my own I wanted his because it's him who lives in me it's his righteousness it's his faith anyway it's just a gift to me but I think a lot of times when people struggle with faith, it's because, number one, they may not be reading the Word. Mm-hmm. And number two, they are expect like, they haven't really, I don't know. There was something that had crossed my mind earlier, but
1: now I kind of forgot what it was. But maybe I can come back to it later. Yeah. But well, That's correct to something. me. I'm like, just... Having more faith in my own faith, and mm-hmm. having faith in God alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, it's interesting. That the times that I feel like okay. my faith is very minimal, if any at all, is mm-hmm. when that I go to God and say "I got nothing, but mm-hmm. you got everything, yeah. um, you're not a liar." So, you know, just I don't know, just just going to Him and just my lack and just being really honest with him saying I actually am lacking but that you are abundant and I don't know, just not that there's any format to that or anything but, but just I just know I've been corrected like God just said. Yeah. It's actually you know, don't don't put faith in the amount of faith you have. <laughs> so, yeah.
4: and I also remember and he grows that seed of faith too. Like I also remember what I was gonna say. Like I think that a lot of times that people don't really have faith because they don't really know the will of God. Like there's a fear sometimes of, oh, well, if that's the will. Like, I don't know if that's his will or not. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes he wishes for us to die. I'm sorry, I don't believe that at all. Like, I don't I don't believe that, like, we have a really good father, and it's Satan who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God comes to give us abundant life. And I think that's very clear. And... Granted, there are some situations where it may have been the Lord's will and they were going to heaven, but if somebody is in their sin, it wasn't for the Lord's will for them to go to hell. We know that, you know, like that's not his desire. And so I think a lot of times if people like healing or provision or whatever, well, it's his will, you know, like my mom was asking me, um about our situation, you know, and she's like, well, what if God's will is for you to be homeless? And I'm like, that's not God's will. Like, he tells me in His word because she had a friend whose daughter became homeless with her child, and her child got taken away, Mm -hmm. and the mother kept saying, well, that's God's will for Mm -hmm. you. And that's not true. That's Mm -hmm. a lie. Mm -hmm. And he tells us in his word, the righteous shall not beg for bread. Like... Mm -hmm. So, um, I just I kind of I think that a lot of times when people struggle with faith, it's because they don't really know what the will of the Father is. If we encounter the Father and His love for us, and we read His Word, He tells us in His Word what His will is, mm-hmm. and that's where faith is produced. Well, lots of
2: lots of things go into our faith becoming stronger. So that goes into it the Word of God goes yeah. into it, how much we meditate on the Word and also mm-hmm. experience. Because in James, it talks about you going through yeah. tribulation. Yeah. When you're going through hard times and your faith is tested, mm-hmm. just like when you work out in the gym and you're trying to build muscle, well, before you can build muscle, you got to break the muscle down. Mm-hmm. So you're get, your muscles are being tested and, and, if, and if you you know survive the test, they're going to be bigger. Your faith is going to be stronger if you make it through that tribulation and, and keep your faith. And so... I think all those things, and we need all that, and sometimes we don't want the tribulation part, but sometimes that's the part that, unfortunately, <laughs> strengthens our faith a lot. Yeah. And the that Word, we need the Word. Yeah, and
1: I finding that, like, it's in the small day-to-day things. Mm-hmm. Like, the really, really small day-to-day things. Like, the practical being... The practical day-to-day, <laughs> very small, seemingly doesn't look really, you know, spiritual kind of things. It's like, that's where he wants me to have faith, you know, and like apply mm-hmm. his word and, <clears throat> and build it up and, and those yeah. kind of things. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's where the
3: perseverance comes from. small so. yeah. yeah. mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Little things every day. That's when it's hard of me to miracles miracles right? yeah.
4: mm-hmm. keep But for yeah. me too, I mean... Just with my children. Like, it takes a lot of faith for me to not, and, and more than faith, patience. Like, God is producing patience in me with mm-hmm. my children, you know? Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot for me to not go off sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm being honest, mm-hmm. but it's because I'm like. A okay, Jesus, <laughs> I really need you to like grab me and let me gain self control because I don't really have me, you know. Yeah, I'm sacrifice a child. <laughs> <laughs> <I don't
3: know. laughs> can you hear
4: them, when they're talking?
2: You can. Okay.
0: So anyway, rabbit tail, but that was good. a great rabbit tail. Uh, yeah. That was amazing. But anyway, trail. but that that's just one example. So no matter what you're dealing with, the Bible says that. Um, He's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true nature of his son. So in this word there's everything that we need. No matter what we're dealing with whether it's the faith thing, whether it's anger there's scriptures that you can go to and you can meditate on those scriptures. Get in those scriptures. If it's fear Joshua 1.9, the Lord says I will not leave you or forsake you. Wherever you go I will go with you and stuff. Um, just find scriptures that pertain to what you're dealing with and meditate on those scriptures and it's just it brings life. It brings it brings uh, you know. It brings uh, ability to overcome. The second thing is the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. Turn to First Corinthians chapter two. Um, when when you are studying your word, it's good to just say, Lord, teach me. The Holy Spirit wants to teach us the Word of God. The Word of God was written in simple. There there are two types of of Greek. There's there's the um, the Greek for, for, um, for the really smart people and, and things, the learned ones and stuff like that. And then there's just basic Greek for the common ordinary man. Right. The Bible was written in the ordinary, the ordinary man's Greek. Greek. It was written so that we could understand. And the thing is, we don't even understand what a gift it is for you to have your Bible in your lap. Amen. I mean, during the dark ages, you couldn't have your own Bible. For one thing, it was too expensive. For another thing, it was controlled by the church. And the church told you what you were going to believe. The church read the scriptures for you. The church told you what you were going to believe and how to believe it. It's like, honestly, this is another rabbit trail, but voting for women. I mean, look how hard it was for women in this country to be able to vote. I'm just, in my personal opinion, I think that that's something that you guys should take advantage of. Because there was a time in this country where you couldn't vote. You didn't have a say and stuff. And so, I mean, God has set you free from that, you know. And and, and sometimes we take the things that God does for us for granted. But again, the Holy Spirit, He desires, He longs to teach us the Word. It is one of His main functions in us as believers is to teach us the Word of God. And in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul was saying in verse 2, he says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So, and I think that what happened is, again, when Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, Paul knew the Bible inside and out while he was a Pharisee. He studied under the best teachers. He knew the word of God. And it wasn't until he became a believer and the Holy Spirit came into his heart and made all that letter, all that dead letter, he brought it to life. And then Paul became who Paul became. You know what I'm saying? That's when Saul became Paul. And now he's this apostle and he's filled with the word of God. And I think it's because of the Holy Spirit in him, the Holy Spirit teaching him the word that he had known from a child and now the holy spirit breathed life on it Mm -hmm. so we need the holy spirit to come in and teach us we we need to rely on the holy spirit lord teach me what your word means teach me what the scripture and the thing is is there are a lot of scriptures that you you study that you will not have understanding of today but the more you study it the more you read it and stuff at some point you will understand it um at some point, God will give you understanding if you say, Lord, right. teach me. And part of that is because, part of it is because a lot of us have pet scriptures. You know what I'm saying? A lot of us love certain portions of scripture, and there are many of us who have never read the whole word of God. Uh, I would dare to say that most Christians have never read the whole Bible, many uh seminary-trained theologians have never read the whole entire Bible. But why is it that we can sit down with Harry Potter and read the whole book, but we can't read the whole Bible? You yeah? know? I mean, and those books are thick. they want, and we only we And like, we come to the Bible, we're like, oh, look how thick it is. Well, look how thick Harry Potter is. You know? And, and got, there's one. there's more there's than There's like lions. 15 of them are. Like, What
4: they miss out on is like, the short stories, like, I think the longest chapter in the whole Bible is Psalm 119. Mm-hmm. And so, like, there's lots of short stories that people get to miss out on because they're just overwhelmed by this 66
0: books. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the thing is, it's like, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, you know? And, and the thing and the reason why I say that, though, is is because the more you read the whole Bible, and I'm, like, saying, read it keep reading it, keep reading it, and I mean... Then those
2: confusing scriptures become yes, less Yeah,
0: then all of a sudden what happens is the Bible never in, in the first place... So you have to have some basic beliefs. Number one, everything in the Bible is true, okay? These are foundational things that you have to believe in the beginning. Everything in the Bible is true. Number two, I believe that the Bible as we have received it is the way God wanted us to receive it. And... Um, there, there are no contradictions in the Bible. So what happens is we come to difficult scriptures, and because we don't know of another scripture that will tie that scripture together and complete the whole picture, then, then, then we don't understand it. And the, and the thing, the fact of the matter is, is that the, throughout the whole Bible, in one part, say like in Ecclesiastes, there might be a piece of the puzzle, and in Romans, there might be another piece of the, of the puzzle. And in, and in Ephesians, there might be another piece of a puzzle. And when you combine them together, they make a complete okay. whole. Sure. Yeah. They make sure. a complete picture. And then that's when we truly begin to get understanding. Yeah. And like we were talking about earlier, and we'll talk about hopefully helps at some point too uh, learning the history of what was going on at the time. Things like that help. Excuse me, culture, stuff like that is always helpful. But, but yeah, when you read the whole entire Bible, and, and don't read it once, read it Read it several times, read the whole Bible. And again, it's a, it's a process, it's not something that you, you don't run before you can walk, you start out, and you start small, and you take the book of John, and you read the book of John, and that's another thing, books, especially in the New Testament, the epistles, those were written as a single letter, to address a single church, to, to, to address things that were going on so say say for instance the book of Ephesians that is a whole complete thing right and that it has to be viewed as a whole yeah and if you can somehow and i'm not saying you have to do it in one setting one two season, settings whatever it doesn't matter how many times it takes you but if you can read that as a whole and see it as a whole then that it helps to make sense also
2: so like if you take ephesians and you, you even if you can't read for several hours a day but you can read for an hour a day and it takes you two weeks to read through ephesians right. It's best to do that rather than reading one chapter in Ephesians today and one chapter in Luke tomorrow. Try to get through the whole book of Ephesians so you can get the complete thought.
0: And also, in in the Bible, when it was written, there were no chapters and verses.
4: Right. Yeah. You
0: know, a lot of times, like, we'll be reading a, a chapter and stuff, and we'll come to the end of the chapter and stop there when you know if you keep reading it through the next chapter it's completing what that right. what, what the thought was that it was uh, right. that it was started and if you stop right there then you don't again you don't get the whole picture So well,
3: Romans is a really good example of that because Romans 1 and 2 are just like pure condemnation like and if you read that you're yeah. just gonna be like oh no you know if you just read Romans 1 and 2 you're out of there you're Yeah, like, it's not nice that you get to you know later on that we get the sanctification and the redemption and all that and, yeah so. well and
0: again like Romans I mean yeah. when you read the book of romans you got to be be patient with yourself and you got to be patient with the lord um i've been saved since 85 and that was the book of romans was the hardest thing for me i i would read it and it was like lord i don't understand this at all because it seems contradictory and it's like and it took it took me forever to finally begin to get mm-hmm. a grasp on it and to get a handle on it. But again, it's because I kept reading it oh and kept reading God. it and God. kept reading it and kept reading it. And then when you're e- reading other portions of Scripture, parts of the Scripture, then you'll like rereading something in Romans and say, hey, I read something in, in Corinthians that goes right with that thought and stuff. And so again, it begins to make a complete whole. Um, okay, back to uh, 1 Corinthians. He says, uh, verse four, "'In my message and my preaching "'were not in persuasive words of wisdom, "'but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, "'so that your faith will not rest on the wisdom of men, "'but on the power of God. "'Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, "'a wisdom, however, not of this age, "'nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. We are, "'But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, "'the hidden wisdom which God predestined "'before the ages to our glory.'" the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as, and, and think of this, Satan doesn't understand the word of God. The Bible says that, that, God, that Satan knows the word, he even trembles at it, but he doesn't understand the word of God. If Satan understood the word of God, he would not have crucified Jesus, or had Jesus crucified. Mm. So, and you think of you think of Satan and the demonic as, as supernaturally intelligent, but yet they still can't understand the word of God. But to you and I, it has been gifted Amen. that we can understand it. Amen. And even the world, uh, I think we'll actually read it here. Uh, we'll keep reading. It says, If they had understood, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. For just as it is written, things which I has not seen and near has not heard and and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God, or in other words, the word of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual, spiritual words. Look at verse 14. But a natural man does not accept the things of, of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So, and that's why the
2: last scripture, it says, um, but we have the mind of Christ.
0: Oh yeah. It says for who has known the mind of the Lord that he would instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Mm -hmm. So if you're born again, again, you have at least in seed form the mind of Christ. And you have, at least to some degree, the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And again, as we begin to seek him and say, Lord, open this up to my understanding. Give me revelation of your word. Teach me what it means. The Lord will do that. He will He will begin to blow on that seed and and to spring it into life. And again, that's why you you talk to unbelievers about the word of God. And it's like you're speaking a different language. Because the... They don't understand the things of the Spirit. They can't understand the the things of the Spirit. That's why it's not our goal, the the function of us as believers is not to get people to church. Our goal is not to make people uh, morally good. Our goal is not to, to make the laws of our nation better. Our goal is to see dead men born again. Because it doesn't matter how much makeup you put on a pig, a pig is a pig. (laughs) And a a dead man is a dead man. And until the Spirit of Christ comes and dwells in him and says, "Light be, that person is going to remain dead in their sins. And the things of the Spirit they cannot understand, even if they wanted to. And so that's why the spirit, of it's none of it makes sense unless the spirit of God comes upon a man and breathes on him. That's why Nicodemus, the whole thing with Nicodemus, what, does a guy need to go back into his mother's womb and be born again? He says, no, that which is of spirit is of spirit, that which is of flesh is flesh. And so, again, before we come to Christ, before we're born again, we're in the flesh. We live by the flesh. We satisfy the desires of the flesh. And it's only when we come to the Lord and his spirit gets born in us that we desire to live by the spirit. And, uh, again, that's why we need the Holy Spirit to dwell in us because it's the spirit that gives life to us. Um, Jeremiah thirty-three, three. we won't have to turn there, but just... Uh, It says, call unto unto me and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And that is the Lord's desire for us. He wants us to call on him. He wants us to seek him because God, like like a bride, wants to be known by her husband. The Lord wants us to know him. That's the whole reason why he created Adam and Eve was so that he could have someone that was like him that he could fellowship with, and that could fellowship with him. And that's what God has been searching throughout all the history of mankind, was people who would give their hearts to him and wanted to join him in that place of communion, in that place of fellowship. And he's still searching for that. And one last scripture, Second Timothy chapter 2. We'll end here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. It says, be diligent. Again, don't just like, take it lightly. He says, be diligent. And Paul is talking to Timothy, but I believe this applies to all of us. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. We were talking to someone not too long ago. She was uh ministering to, to a lost person and um she couldn't come up with any scripture. She she couldn't you know, it's like she the the person even asked her, Well, what's your favorite scripture? And she had nothing to give them. And stuff and so We live in a sinful, fallen world. We are the bride of Christ. We are the representation of Christ in this earth. We are the testimony of him. And so Paul is saying that as his bride, as his believers, as his ambassadors in this earth, present yourself as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, someone who accurately handles the word of truth. In verse 16, he says, "...but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it leads only to further ungodliness." and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection had already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Verse 19, Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows who are His, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware and some to honor and some to dishonor. Look at this in verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. And that's, that is the goal of our Bible study. That is the goal of studying the scriptures in Being sanctified is because we want to be those vessels of honor. We want to be like Paul when we stand before the Lord, the Lord, and he says, well well done, good and faithful servant.